Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl, and I talk about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called Positioning is Where It's At. Let's get started. You can position your product in different ways in many, many different markets. And we will talk about a couple examples later down the line. You may have started describing your product in one specific way, only to find out that your customers understand it very differently. Many first-time founders make the mistake of iterating on their product, but keeping their positioning the same. And even if they're capable enough of describing their product correctly the first time around so that customers really get it, they then miss the opportunity to keep the distance as small as possible between what their product does and how their customers perceive it. April Dunford has an exceptional approach that she outlines in her book, Obviously Awesome, that that will help you align how to position your product with what your customers can understand. So you'll find the competitive alternatives first, then highlight the unique features that you have that they don't, then you show how those features produce value for your customers in fields that they care about, and then contextualize it within the market segment. In that way, you will come up with a comprehensive narrative that ties together your unique offering and your customers' needs. So let's dive a bit deeper into a couple of aspects here. I do recommend reading the book. If you want to know anything about positioning, you will need to dive deeply into this. And April has a lot of experience and it comes highly recommended. I've read the book. It's amazing. Almost all other founders that I've seen getting their positioning right have read the book, or at least they dove deeply into the um, kind of knowledge that you have to get before they got to their positioning. So let's talk about competitive alternatives because competitive alternatives is a phrase that is chosen for reason. It's not just competitors. It's intriguing. The whole term competitive alternatives is quite intriguing. Competitors are not just competing businesses doing more or less the same thing that you do. Get rid of that notion that competitors are people like you. Excel, Word, Word, and Plano post-its can be the current way that a problem is solved for many people. And that already is competition. Anything that provides your prospective customers some level of help when they are trying to solve their problem is a competitive alternative. And Making sure you know what is comparable to your product will be necessary for highlighting those differentiators of your product. Look for things that are very different from your product. Look for things out there that exist already or that people are envisioning, that people are building, that already are there. Um, It may not be a SaaS even, but an installable piece of software. And it might not be software at all, but just a few sheets of paper and the grid it may not e- it may even be something completely different like handing off the work to an intern or it being outsourced to an agency of sorts all of these things have entirely different value generation potentials and economics so make sure that the positioning of your service is clearly better than all of those alternatives let's talk a bit about positioning and value know how your product is made and know who your product is for. The, and speak the language of the people. Understand the problems of your audience. Having domain expertise encompasses that. And that is immensely helpful here. Because 
you should validate your messaging before you apply it at scale. And you should know that it makes sense, right? So um, it's another rendition of talk to your customers, just in a different way. You'll be surprised by how something that's perfectly clear to you can be confusing to somebody in the industry you serve if you don't know the intricacies of the domain-specific language. And that is very important for us as indie hackers and founders that likely have some sort of technical background. If you don't have a technical background, just disregard this at this point. But if you are a developer and you're building things for people in a non-developer space, the kind of things that you know may by far exceed the things that people in that other space understand. And I will talk about this for Feedback Panda for a second. Like when I do something on my computer, I use so many tools, right? I have a um, a clipboard manager so I can retrieve links that I copied and pasted a couple weeks ago. That is normal to me. I have text expander where I can write little snippets of text that I use every single day multiple times and just have them a couple keystrokes away. It's also normal to me. I know exactly how to use my computer to quickly switch between windows uh, front and back like with, with sh- key commands that I use all the time. That's normal to me. But if you expect a person like an online English teacher who may be 50 years old and bought a computer for this purpose alone is just trying to figure out how to deal with it, to know all of these things and to be as efficient as you are, if you think that that's the baseline, the status quo, you're making a mistake. Your level of understanding of the complexity of technology and how to navigate it is much higher than the level of somebody who's new to the field or new to the technology, just the mode of employing the technology even. So whenever you expect certain things from your customers that they should understand by default, that they should innately comprehend, put yourself in this position first. And it's it's hard for somebody who knows more to think about how to know less, right? And how to have less understanding of a certain topic. So what I recommend here is to really embrace the kind of community and listen to how they communicate. It's a it's a time-honored marketing technique as well to mirror the communication style and the choice of words and phrases of a community, right? If they um if they ask questions, they use certain words. So if you find a community of the people that you're serving, look for how they ask questions and which words they use and use the exact same words in an answer to those questions, right? If, and in our case, it was, how do I deal with student feedback? So we, we obviously centered our product around the message of this is how you deal with student feedback. And we would find those questions all over the place, right? People would ask, how do you, how do you deal with feedback? How do you write feedback fast? That was what people understood the, the problem to be. So we didn't say, well, we are a CRM for student-teacher interactions. Because even though that's what we were, that's what the product was, we said, oh, you can deal with your student feedback by using Feedback Panda. Feedback Panda helps you write your feedback faster. Because the message that you're sending out should always be a reply to an either an unspoken question, a thought that people have, or the actual questions that people employ and by asking them in their own communities and the tribal kind of systems and um, social media communities that you can find. So really look for what people say and use the same words in your own positioning. Of course, positioning is much more than this, and I'll get to that. But 
I think by understanding the kind of communication that exists in your community, you're already way ahead of any other person that might want to clone your business because you're successful or that might uh, um, steal your customers because they see, oh, okay, I have a product that could kind of fit in here as well. If you speak the exact language of your community, you will reach them before anybody else does. And that will set you apart. So let's let's talk about value propositions because when you want to convince a customer to buy a product, that's what you usually show them, right? You show them a value prop. And it's important to understand that value propositions can be leading or lagging. And that's a, a temporal dimension to this. Like time is important. And that means some features have an immediate impact when they're being used. That would be leading. And other features will only show themselves in the long tail of using a service. And those would be the lagging value propositions. There are retention value props that you only use in customer service situation. Just think of a conversation that contains the phrase, see how easy that was? Next time you use this and it won't take more than a minute. That is a value proposition that you use while you're doing a customer service call or it's just a conversation. And those are not going to sell the product to somebody who's just browsing, right? If you talk to somebody how they can quickly solve their problems using your product, they don't want to use your product. So you don't use these. Just make sure that you use leading value propositions early and discuss those long-term benefits later in the customer journey. Right? Lead with things that people can immediately understand to provide value. Use, use the product for, for a couple days and you will shave up one hour of your day. That was kind of the, the, um, the message we sent to our customers. That's a leading one because even though it has a time component, it's not like if you use a product for 12 months, um, you will have a big database of, um, I don't know, feedback templates that you can use from. Yeah, yeah, of course you could, right? You could say this, but who wants to envision having to use a product for 12 months to be able to derive some value? So say within the couple, within the first week, you will shave off one hour of extra work off your day by using the pre-existing templates to ha- that we have in our product, the, the templates that other teachers share with you and other teachers, just kind of, th- that would be our example. And that's how we communicated it. But just try to find what has immediate impact for your customers. And you can always do this in a way that is narrative because narratives is how we people understand the world, right? Through stories, through explanations. Um, even the most scientific kind of explanation is a narrative. It's just like a from one assumption to a logical conclusion, another assumption, logical conclusion, synthesizing them to another conclusion. That is a narrative. It's a story. It's just a story that is um, based in fact and not in making things up. So you can use narratives on all different kinds of levels. And I really recommend listening to Andy Raskin's talk about storytelling. You can find that on YouTube by just looking for Andy Raskin, uh, Raskin, A-R-S-K-I-N, and storytelling. He recommends laying out the stakes, and that works really well. Make your customers wonder why they are on the road to ruin if they continue to do what they're doing. Show them that they're currently moving into a direction that is not optimal, and show them what the losers are moving um, away from so that they can understand that the winners are moving towards your product. Right? If you have a product that is competing with, I don't know, Google Sheets, Tell them that, well, the people who used this for the longest time, they kind of stagnate at some point. And the winners are going to my product. What does it take to win? What do winners move towards? Answer those questions with your service. 
and you'll have a strongly positioned product. Talk about winners. Obviously, if you, if you can, much more than talk about uh, talking about losers. I think it's nice that people um, respond better to being considered to be a winner that is temporarily embarrassed, right? A winner that is temporarily not doing too well, but in the end, they are a winner. So kind of use the framing, but show them where losers are right now and where losers are not going, right? Winners move away from certain things and towards other things. Losers either move to things that don't work or stick with the things that don't work and contemplate that in your messaging. Talk about the problems that you solve as obstacles to the goals of your customers and not just disembodied issues, right? They have goals and your customers at least have goals and they want to reach them. And the problems that, that are in their way, they don't really care about the problems. They don't like the problems. They don't enjoy having problems, but these problems are there and they need to be solved. So give evidence that your solution fosters belonging in the group of winners and believers, right? They overcome the problem and they are more respected in their community. They overcome more and more obstacles. They climb, they get reputation, they have a career, they, they just show up more, they um, are recognized more. That is what you want to give people as a perspective when you position your product. And this results in great opportunities for conversational marketing, right? That's a, a message, an authentic message that gets spread for free because that's the message that people will remember. And they will tell this message to other people when they communicate, both about the problems and how they solve them. And you'll be part of it. And you'll be a really central part of this. And I think there's nothing wrong with being specific here. Going narrow could feel like you're excluding parts of the market and those people could be your customers, but I think that's an illusion, particularly for bootstrappers. By making your positioning so compelling that your best-fitting customers get it completely, you allow them to rephrase it most fittingly when they talk to their peers. And that's what you want. You want word of mouth kind of marketing happening in your community as a bootstrapper. The easiest thing you can have cheapest thing you can have in the most effective way that people communicate about your product. So trust that once you've conveyed the value you provide to those who can most use it, they will take care to explore the ways that it can be described to a much larger customer base just for you. And you'll see that in the public communication, in the social media posts they create, and in the way they describe your product to other people in the market, you will see certain things come up and you have to find those conversations and you can learn incredibly useful and highly converting terms and phrases that you can then leverage in your own marketing. Kind of ties back in with what I said earlier, right? Listen to your audience, understand the language that they're speaking. While once they speak about your product, they use certain language too to communicate the value to people who may not yet know your product and understand the value of it. So look for that. Find those words and use them in your own marketing. Um, let's talk about the context of positioning because that's one of the things um, that April Dunford also talks about. And it's competition, right? Competition is always a big part of it. So when you position your product, don't obscure your competition. It may feel dangerous to show your customers alternatives to your product, but it really is not as long as you focus on what makes your product unique, right? That way you will allow people who use your competitor's product to have a frame of reference and see if your service is a better fit to them. And additionally, by talking about competitors, you will find that people reach out to you and ask if you can do something that services that you would never have expected to be competitors allow them to do. And that goes back into the competitive alternative situation. 
right? The kind of things that you wouldn't even expect to be a competitor for Feedback Panda. That was actually, um, yeah. Well, let me talk about this. For Feedback Panda, I never thought to encroach on the territory of text expansion products. And I mentioned that I used Text Expander earlier, right? By building our own text snippet, uh, text snippet templating or something. It was only after several customers asked if our product had that capability that I noticed that there was a competitive alternative to our fully featured text templating application. People were already using stuff like Text Expander to do the templating in a more simple way, but it was definitely a competitor because they use that and not our product. So the fact that we offered something like Text Expander for their feedback attracted a number of teachers who previously had not understood the use of our product. We wouldn't even have needed to implement similar functionality. The category alone made a number of prospective customers check out our product. And that's what you want, right? You want those people to understand that something that is maybe not the same, but has similar functionality can be in the same category. And then they start weighing the options. And once you have people weighing the options, you could sell them value. You can show them value. And if they valued what you give them more than what they had before, they'll jump ship. That's as easy as it is. But you have to understand it. And by closing your eyes to competition, you're actually doing yourself a disservice. Because you, all of a sudden, are blind to the good things that other businesses have and to the lack of things that they have, which you could actually jump in and find customers in that segment. So let's... Uh, maybe get to the the fact on, on how you do positioning. And the, I think it's always an ongoing process, right? In the beginning, I said, um, don't iterate on your product um, and do your positioning once and then never change it. I think once you have your positioning working for your product, don't stop. There are two kinds of events that will require you to revisit your positioning. One is product evolution, right? And the other one is changes in the environment surrounding your business. Product evolution is logical. If you build something else, you have to tell a different story. But um, changes in the environment are um, one of the more surprising things, maybe. So product evolution. You, your product will change over time. Either it'll change gradually or through a major pivot. And no matter how fast you get to this point, there will be a time when the description you use in your positioning needs to be adjusted for, yeah, to just fit the service. Features come and go. And your product is a different beast at launch than it will be a few years later. I, at least I hope so, because you have to learn from your customers. And what started as a very niche product could expand into a suite of tools or what's learned from operating your product for years will result in positioning a product um, or, or product changes later. A previous startup that I co-founded pivoted from being a marketplace for local food right here in Berlin into a local food subscription service for small businesses and agencies. So obviously we had to adjust our positioning completely, right? Because our audience shifted substantially and it required an entirely different approach to product marketing and sales. And we did, and it worked out. So that's the product part. Let's talk about the environment because markets can change as well. The longer you're around, the more the business landscape will have moved. Things will, that were once unique to your product may become commonplace because your competitors have adopted them into their own products or Regulation could cause your prospects to focus on things that you never had to advertise with in the beginning. Just look at GDPR, right? When GDPR was announced, all publishing services suddenly had to show that they were compliant with the European privacy regulation, or else they would be in a very risky space and their customers would be at risk as well. 
So when those businesses were founded, newspapers and um, blogs, none of them had to position themselves as a GDPR compliant service because it wasn't there yet. Yet they were all forced to emphasize that part of their business and they had to scramble and heavily adjust their products accordingly. The important thing is to regularly update your positioning. So let me close with that. At least take a look at your product, your business and the landscape around it a few times a year, maybe every three months. Just really makes, make, take some notes and, and compare them every couple months. Or when things noticeably change, like with GDPR. Like don't wait for the next uh, three months to go by. Just immediately, once you have comprehended the change, make sure that you schedule some time to reflect on whether your messaging is still aligned with what you offer. I've written about this topic and many, many more in my book, Zero to Sold. You can purchase that from Amazon and Gumroad and you'll find out more on zerotosoldbook.com. Thanks for checking it out. If you're interested in the journey of me actually self-publishing the book and sharing the content like this here today, you'll be happy to hear that I sold almost uh, 1,800 books so far. Incredibly fortunate. I publish the weekly sales figures and other updates on Twitter every Monday. And it's been a wonderful journey. And I'm grateful for everybody who went on it with me. So thank you for that. I'm just going to continue talking a bit about positioning. Um, I already mentioned a couple things about Feedback Panda. But I do want to make sure that you understand like how it was really necessary to speak the language of our customers. Like Feedback Panda was in itself a, a templating engine and a CRM for like student history, like the history of the classes taught to a student and the feedback attached to them. But we never used this kind of stuff, right? We never used the word CRM. We never used the word templating engine. Like we called it a productivity tool for online teachers. We call it a time saver. We called it um, making feedback easier and making, fe- making feedback quicker. And I think it's it's very, very important to like not just say the right things, but also to not say the wrong things. Because if you turn something that is a professional product for people who consider themselves to be professional and you use fun language that is not expected, people will be surprised. But in our case, we had a professional product that was used by people who considered themselves not necessarily that professional. I mean, they knew they were good teachers, right? Don't get me wrong, but they didn't consider themselves like a business. So having a product that talked to them really on the, okay, this makes your life easier. It's almost a B2C situation, but it was still sold to individual businesses, like self-employed freelance teachers. So the messaging was somewhere in between. We made it very clear that it was a time saver, it was a money saver, it was an optimization tool, but we didn't dive deeply into the technical consistency of it. We didn't tell people what exactly it was built upon and like how the automation and all these things work. No, it was really, this will save you time. Click here, click there, install this, and then use that every time you teach. And I think that spoke to the level of professionality that or professionalism, I guess, that the, was inside of every single of these teachers because they were freelancers. They understood that they were actually doing doing a job, right? They, they, this was, that was not just a hobby that we're doing. They were doing this for money. But again, individual people. So you, you have to find the kind of language that works for those people. 
And you have to also sell what's most important. And here's another example that I find very interesting. And it's a it's an example from the bootstrap world. Um, at least one of the parties. I want to compare Transistor FM, the platform that I use to actually host this very podcast right now, and Anchor.fm, which is another software used for podcasting. And I feel maybe on the on the the outset, Transistor is a bootstrap business, right? Transistor uh, has been around for I think a couple of years at this point, and it was has been founded by two very well-known bootstrap founders in the community, I think, John Buddha and Justin Jackson. Um, the, they founded Transistor together and they also grew the team and everything. It's, it's, it's a very interesting platform and quite enjoyable because they have a connection to the bootstrapping sphere and the bootstrapping scene. Um, and you can see that uh, both in the product and in the marketing. And I want to talk about that. But I also want to mention Anchor because Anchor is also a very interesting, at least, platform to host your pod- uh, podcasts on. They are not bootstrap. They have um, had, I think, what, one round uh, or two rounds of funding. They have like 14 point something millions uh, of dollars in funding. So you can see this in a way. If you look at the products, at the landing pages of the products, or just the products themselves. Because Transistor as a bootstrap business, growing sustainably, not having to haste growth in any way, they're really just a podcast publishing platform. And that's how they position themselves, right? They, they Pretty much their tagline is your podcast publishing platform. Record your audio and upload it to Transistor. We'll help you distribute your podcast to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And that's it, right? That's what you say. You have something to say, upload it, we'll distribute it for you. But Anchor, on the other hand, is um, it's a bit bigger, right? The, the company has more funding. The, there's the whole... Um, product is bigger it ha- it solves more problems and they also position it as such they say anchor is an all-in-one platform where you can create distribute and monetize your podcast from any device for free and i think there's a big difference right the big difference here is that um anchor really heavily talks about monetizing your product because they need to also monetize their product in a very um, extensive way. So you will see on Anchor a lot of the screenshots, a lot of the descriptions on their landing page. If you check it out, you will see um, ads and how ads work and how getting paid to podcasts works and how you can um, learn more about making money with your podcast. While on Transistor, the whole point is just this is a tool. This is a professional tool. You upload your thing. You broadcast it and everything that you do in your podcast, how to how you monetize it, or if you don't, is completely left up to you. And that's why I personally decided to use Transistor when I had my pick, right? When I started this podcast and I thought about hmm, how I can how can I reliably um, build this podcast with a really nice and easy to use tool, I specifically looked for one that wasn't too big on advertising. Because I knew that my podcast isn't really supposed to make me money. It's more supposed to get the message out and share what I know with people. And it would be nice if I could make some money off it. And I, I've tried in the past, right? If you listen to a couple episodes, um, 10 or 12 episodes ago, I had a couple of um, sponsors on it. And it was always interesting, but it's really not for me, I guess, at least not at this point. So 
it wasn't when I began. Right? It wasn't when I started out. I also didn't think about that. I just tried it in, the, in pretty much a couple dozen episodes in. So Transistor really got to me with that. They, they understood that I just wanted something to record my audio and upload it. That's all I wanted. And that's their messaging. That's how they're positioning themselves. I think this example is important because it shows your focus. It shows what you focus on. It also shows who you're talking to. And I think Justin and John, they understand that their audience is a lot of entrepreneurs. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of bootstrappers, a lot of indie hackers, a lot of people um, who are just trying to build a personal brand or a small brand. And that is who they focus on. They don't try to lure you into a more complex kind of system. And I'm not saying Anchor is bad. Just uh, don't get me wrong on that. I'm just saying Anchor is not for me at this point. And it is not for me because I've understood the transistor is a better fit. And that is what positioning is about for me, to clearly label yourself, to clearly communicate who you are so that people who are your audience find you, recognize you, and then choose you. And that's what I, what I wanted to talk about today. That's what positioning is. I still recommend getting April Dunford's book, Obviously awesome. It's on Amazon and um, the ebook's great. The printed book is great as well. So look at look at that. It's definitely something that every founder should at least have in their library and probably should have read as well. So I highly recommend it because you will get to the point where you need to readjust or adjust your positioning in your life. I, I guarantee it. And you better have something that will help you through that. So check it out. And yeah, thank you so much for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at the, thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find my book, Zero to Sold, at zerotosoldbook.com. If you have any questions about the episode, reach out on Twitter, send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It'll help other founders and founders-to-be find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling the Bootstrap businesses. Thanks so much for listening today and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.